The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today we continue in the book of Revelation with our introduction to this book that was preached by Elder Buddy Abernathy a couple of years ago. In this sermon, we continue in chapter 1, looking at Jesus Christ as John saw him there on the Isle of Patmos. Join us today for this sermon about Christ and his glory, which is found in the revelation, not the covering up, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Poor, weak, and continue today in the uh, book of Revelation, and I um, want to begin 
in verse 8. We came to the end of verse 7 last time, and uh, verse 7 ends with the word Amen. So that was a good stopping point because he now begins a new train of thought. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, even though that's not the end of the sentence, I want to stop there and begin back at verse 8. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. Now, uh, that's essentially the same as us saying that Jesus is A to Z. He's everything. That's the way that that's to be understood. The first uh, letter in the Greek alphabet to the last letter. He's everything. I am Alpha and Omega. And then he specifically applies it this way. He says the beginning and the ending. Now that applies to all of time as we know it. Now we'll learn that Jesus surpasses time. But he's first establishing that he is the beginning and the ending. Now let's think of a few scriptures that uh, support that and elaborate on it. Uh, further, Notice, first of all, in Psalms 90, we see that not only is Jesus, who is God, from A to Z, but also notice in Psalm 90, it says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now I want you to notice there that not only is he God presently at any point in time, but he's also God presently if we can say it that way, in any point of eternity. Notice what he says. From everlasting to everlasting. Whether you look beyond the beginning of time, though we're not able to fathom a timeless uh, state, <laughs> though we look beyond the beginning of time or beyond the end of time or anywhere in between, we can always say in the present tense, Thou art God. So God is the eternal present, if that makes sense. He is far surpassing the boundaries of time from everlasting, and by the way, that literally means 
the vanishing point. That means infinity in the past and infinity in the future. As far as your mind can fathom, all the way to the vanishing point, one way to the vanishing point, the other, at any point in that, He is God. From everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. But notice here, He focuses primarily on Jesus being the beginning and the ending. He's, he's the beginning of time and he's the end of time. We know that he himself doesn't have a beginning and he himself doesn't have an ending. So he must be referencing here to the fact that he is Lord over all of time. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And then notice this, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now you may say, well, that's essentially saying the same thing. He is now, he was, and he is to come. And you might could say generally that's making the same point. But obviously the Lord would not make the exact same point twice. There's some more uh, understanding to be gained here. And I believe what he's referring to here is prior uh, to him being incarnated into human flesh, he was God. During the time that he was here in the likeness of sinful flesh, it could be said of him that he was God. And since he ascended back to heaven, he's God. Now let's look at how the scriptures explain that. Now notice first of all though, I just saw this this morning. He doesn't say that he was and is and is to come. That would be the logical sequence, wouldn't it? He was, he is, and he is to come. But rather he, he says first, I am, the, I am the one that is. He refers to, uh, to time as it is now. Now notice how this is described in John chapter 1 and beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, Jesus said, uh, I'm the Alpha and Omega the first and the last, the beginning, the ending. Here it says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of time, Jesus was already in existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. The same was in the beginning with God. In other words, you could say the same thing about God. In the beginning was God, and God was with the Word, and God was the Word. You see, it could be stated either way because Jesus and God are equal. All things were made by Him. Jesus was involved in the creation. You remember in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 1 with regard to the creation of man, the Godhead said, let us make man 
in our image. Not, not let me make man in my image, but let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Let us make man in our image. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It wasn't a matter that God made part of the creation and Jesus made part of it. We're speaking here, and what I want you to get in your mind as we continue with Revelation is that Jesus was, is, and forever will be God. And it's important to understand that because he's the one that we'll see later on walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which are, are, are representative of the Lord's local churches. You know, and as the closer we get to what appears to be persecution in our country, that's something we need to know. They needed to know it. That Jesus was not just a historical figure. He was not just a, a good philosopher that a lot of people listen to. But rather he is God. And so he says here in Revelation 1 that he is, he was, and listen to this, is to come the Almighty. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 with that word almighty in mind. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. Paul is writing to the church and he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. You know, some of you may be like me for the first time in my life in this country, I'm beginning to be a little troubled, aren't you? When we look at the political world and, the, uh, and our freedoms being chipped away, well, they had far more trouble in their day than we do, but we can still benefit from this. He says, to you are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Remember, he's the almighty. He's the most mighty of the mighty. But it says, if you're troubled about what you may face, he says, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now some might would say, well, if they would just obey the gospel, they would know the Lord. He's saying just the opposite. The reason they don't obey the gospel is because they don't know the Lord. And man left to himself, void of God's grace, void of the new birth, he knows not God, so he won't obey the gospel. And the point is this. Every sin will be accounted for. There is no escape. Now our hope is that Jesus was held accountable for our sins. Now we'll get to this, Lord willing, in more detail later, but look at Revelation chapter 20. This is speaking of the second coming. 
Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Either Jesus was held accountable for our sins at the cross or we will be held accountable. And we know, as Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he said, pray for us that we'll be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. There are some unreasonable and wicked men. And my, what I ask you to do is pray that Brother Chris and I will be delivered from them, not to them, to try to save them. See, Paul prayed just the opposite. He didn't say, I want to go to preach to people that hate the Lord and convince them to love the Lord. He said, brethren, I want you to pray that God will protect me from them. There are evil, wicked men who have no interest in God. You can't persuade them to have interest in God. And if it were not for our names being written in the book of life from the foundation of the world and covered by the blood of Christ, we would have the same destiny they do. But understand this, that Jesus will hold all men accountable one way or the other. You know, people like to think of Jesus, he's just nice. He's just a friend. He's just one you can talk to. Well, for the child of God, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Abraham was referred to as the friend of God, but there's another side of Jesus. There's the, the side that Paul described here where it says he'll come in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. When he came the first time, he came lowly and meek. That's not the way he's coming the next time. He's not coming to, to, to be accepted by men. He's coming in all his glory and power. He is in every eye will see him. Every The wicked will confess that he is God. The knee of the wicked will bow. They will call on the rocks to fall upon them, to be, to be hid from his judgment. No one will be able to, to reply against him at that time. The ones that hate him and crucified him, the ones that today I hear chant in saying, if Jesus comes again, we'll crucify him again. That's not going to happen. When he comes again, That he is coming again, and they're not going to crucify him again. He will be vindicated. He will conquer all enemies. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is still winning against us, isn't it? Every person is on the same level when it comes to death. Everyone without exception, if the Lord tarries his coming, will die. The richest, most powerful politician and the, and the uh, lowest, meanest, unknown person will have the same end. They all lay one beside another on equal level in death. And see, that's the idea 
that we want to get from Revelation. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Notice right now, while we're in the church, when He's not here with us physically, we believe He still is. We believe He's here now. His children believed when He was when he was in his bodily form that he was, he was then, but most of all, he is to come, the Almighty. But then notice this. After describing Jesus Christ as the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth, verse 9, notice this. I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation. Notice John's on the same level we are. John's not described as the master theologian that wrote the book of Revelation that has more insight than any other preacher. That's not how he saw himself. And I hope that's the way I feel every time I preach. John says, I'm your brother. I'm not your father. I'm your brother. And not only that, I'm your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand what that phrase means. How is it that John could say, I'm your brother and companion in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ? Now, all of us can surely relate to the idea that we are companions in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're, and we think of the kingdom as the church body. We're, we're spiritual companions in the Lord's church. But he also says, I'm your brother and companion in the patience of Jesus Christ. Now the idea there, which will uh, give you more light on from another passage, the idea there is that we're all waiting on the same thing. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and begin with verse 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I've already quoted part of this. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. There it is again. What's he saying here? 
Second Thessalonians was written for one of the reasons it was written is because they overreacted to First Thessalonians, which concluded with a second coming of Christ. And some people quit their jobs and said, well, the Lord's coming back. We don't need to work anymore. And Paul's now trying to bring them back to the middle of the road. But notice here, he says, uh, he says in verse 5, that I want the Lord to direct your hearts. He's trying to give them the right focus. I want the Lord to direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patient waiting for Christ. Whether you live in the first century or the 21st century, I've said this many times, the perspective of the church does not change. The perspective of the church is we are patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord. And notice here in Revelation 1 that uh, he makes it clear that there is tribulation associated with our patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. Not if you disobey God. Not if you're unfaithful. Not if you make mistakes. Not if you use poor judgment. That's unqualified. That's the lot of the child of God. And Paul said it this way. Notice the, the, what he adds to it. He said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, we don't know that in the sense that first century Christians knew about it. But to one degree or another, you see, the United States is an exception to the rule of history, isn't it? Our freedom is an exception to the way it's been for the most of history. And we will suffer. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Did you ever think the day would come? Those of you that are uh, my age and older and probably even some of those younger than me. Did you ever think the day would come that you would be considered it would be considered hateful language to say that you only believe in traditional marriage. Did you ever think we'd reach the point that you're narrow-minded, you're evil, there's something wrong with you. You see, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And though we may not have experienced it much in our life, we can see that unless the Lord intervenes, and turns things around, that that's on the horizon. So John says, I'm your companion in tribulation. People say, do you believe in the great tribulation? Yeah, it's right now. The tribulation is right now. If you study Matthew 24, Jesus refers to what this age that we're in now, the church age, he refers to it as that tribulation. Yes, there's a great tribulation and it's what we're going through now. John said, and he, he spoke of this as the last days. When are the last days? John said that we're in those last days now. See, many things that we want to put off 
are actually descriptive of the Christian church from beginning of its existence until the end. I'm your companion in tribulation, but also in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Then he says, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was banished because of what I believed and what I preached. I was isolated. I was put away from the rest of the population. You know, people will already do that at least in how they treat you, won't they? If you're a Christian, everywhere you go, people already at least in their minds banish you. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're narrow-minded. You're one of those that, that hate those that don't agree with you. You're already banished in the minds of many. Well, John was physically banished to an island. He was physically separated from the population. And then I want you to notice this in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now I'm going to take a little path here and I may stay on this path for quite a while because this really hit me when I was reading this verse. John said on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. You know what I thought? I said, buddy, where are you on the Lord's day? Are you in the Spirit? You see, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments, and I believe it's the fourth one, that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now what does that mean? The Sabbath day was the seventh. The Sabbath day was a, was a special day in commemoration of the creation. God created in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. He wasn't tired, but God made the seventh day a special day. The idea there for us is that it's different from the other days. Now, in the New Testament, the Sabbath was replaced, if you will, by the first day of the week, which is in commemoration or in remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You read throughout the book of Acts, though sometimes they met daily, it, there's many times it says on the first day of the week when they were come together. Now there's some that might debate over what particular day that is. That's not our concern this morning. I'm just wanting to point out to you that through that approximately 4,000 years of history before Jesus came, there was the Sabbath day. And then, for the past 2,000 years, we've been 
making, we've been giving special attention to the first day of the week. Now here's the way we're prone to think. Go to church on Sunday. You ever thought that way? Yeah, go to church on Sunday. Notice what John said. He calls it the Lord's Day. Now, I know we're living in a a busy culture. I know there are a lot of things going on Sunday, Sunday, just like every other day of the week. You know, I'm actually old enough to remember when the only thing open on Sunday was the drugstore. That's how old I am. Some of you can remember when you... You couldn't get anything on Sunday because everything was closed. You know why? People went to church on Sunday. People looked at Sunday. Even the, even the American culture gave recognition to Sunday. I can remember when you frowned on people if they're out in the yard cutting grass on Sunday. But you know, here's what I've, I've learned. Sunday is not Sunday based on a list of do's and don'ts. Don't cut the grass on Sunday. Don't buy gas on Sunday. That's all admirable. The more rules you have for yourself that help you prioritize the kingdom of God, that's great. But here's the way we need to look at it as God's people. It is the Lord's day. What did the Lord do for you on that day? He saved you from eternal hell. He he did a little something for us, didn't He? On that day. Our life ought to be planned and, if, and we need to work toward it being the Lord's day. Now think of it like this. If you didn't grow up in a home where it was looked at as the Lord's day, here's what you can do. When you get married, you can say, okay, Sunday on the calendar is the Lord's day. No, it's really not that difficult. You say, Sunday's the Lord's day. That means that day is wide open for going to church, for visiting with God's people, for visiting the sick. That's the Lord's day. You know, if we had that as our priority, we wouldn't be rushing around, would we? Because that's the Lord's day. You say, well, I've just... I've never thought of it like that. Well, start praying that God will help you move in that direction. God will bless you as long as you're moving in the right direction. You say, here's one activity that I'm doing on Sunday, and here's one thing. It won't make a big difference, but I can lay that one aside, and I'll be moving in the right direction. Let me give you a couple of things that even I can remember. And see... I know you young people think I'm old, but the people that are old are people that live way before me, that grew up during a different era. 
Now, I can remember myself when people, when the older people would tell me that the way they learned the Bible is sitting around listening to the preachers on Sunday afternoon. That don't happen anymore, does it? They would sit around and listen to the preachers on Sunday afternoon. Going home and sitting on the porch and listening to preachers talk was a, a regular event. We would refer to it as talk scripture. I don't hear that anymore. Might be because we're not doing that anymore. It's the Lord's day. God saved you on that day. Oh, that we might say this one day out of seven is the Lord's day. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. See, the Lord's day is not only special because you separate it from other things, but also... That's going to help you be in the Spirit. You know, it, it would really, think of how it would be if you never went to church on Sunday. It'd be hard to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It would be a challenge. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard behind me a great voice. I believe that even though we don't have the revelation that John received, isn't it significant to say, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard God speak. That's the way it should be today, isn't it? Hopefully the preacher's in the Spirit and you're in the Spirit and we hear from God's Word. We hear God speak. And here's what that voice like a trumpet said. It wasn't a new message. He said, I am Alpha and Omega. The Lord wants us to know that. I am the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now I'm going to stop there this morning, even though we still have some time left, because that's a, that's a good stopping point. But the one thing, the two things I want you to keep in mind. Jesus is Alpha and Omega. He's all that matters ultimately. Our life is a little vapor that vanishes away. But He is everything. And let's strive to worship Him on His day in all that we do. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates.
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.